Hey everyone, it's the Covenant Courses Podcast. My name's Weston Brown, and today is the final episode of this 12-week course called Logos Foundations of Effective Bible Study. So thank you so much for listening over the last few weeks. Today, Taylor and I are going to do just a little bit of recap and, and mention some things we've talked about over the last few weeks. Um, but also look at a few other Bible study tactics that you may want to have in your tool belt. And so um, hope this is helpful to you today. Thanks for listening. We're going to be back soon with another course in the near future. I was thinking, Taylor, that we, <laughs> when we originally started this, I was envisioning these being like 30 minute episodes. And I think the last one was an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. So we may have taken for granted how long winded we are. Yeah. Our apologies on, on that front. Just um, a little. But hopefully, hopefully this stuff's been helpful to you. If um, studying the Bible is something nebulous to you or it's something you are new to, um, the goal here is not just to uh, fill you with knowledge, um, because to be honest, we've really only talked about a, a small number of things. We've just talked about them at length, <laughs> it seems. You know, it's like we've talked about the inductive Bible study method, um, which is observation, interpretation, and application. We have hammered home the importance of establishing context when you're reading the Bible. And, and then we've just sort of practically gone through each of those things and fleshed them out a little bit more. And then in our last episode, we tried to bring some of those pieces together by doing the work of induction, mm -hmm. of observing, interpreting, and applying uh, to some extent in real time, mm -hmm. looking at a couple different passages. So if you missed the last episode, I'd encourage you to go listen to it. Um, but yeah, what are, what are some takeaways for you, Taylor, from the last... 12 weeks, what are some things that um, maybe this has had you thinking about or exploring a little bit more or maybe thinking differently about? Yeah, so I'll be honest, when we got started and we spent the first, I, it was probably the first five or six uh, episodes on talking about what is the Bible? What is Bible study? How do you approach the Bible? What is the makeup of the canon? You know, what are these two testaments made up of? All this, It. I thought it was very useful but maybe um i didn't i didn't really see the point of that until we finished the last episode and then you can look back and and kind of see how the the proper use the proper application of the inductive method really depends on the foundational knowledge of what the bible is and if you come to the bible with one of the views that we discussed early on that it's kind of you know it's a rule book or it's kind of these golden tablets or it's mm -hmm. a collection right of different individual isolated books then something like the inductive method may make less sense yeah but i think once we were able to establish that really good foundation of here's what here's what we believe the bible is here you know we believe it's one overarching story we believe it is a collection of these different voices speaking to the same character of Jesus throughout redemptive history. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, something like the inductive study method is inevitable, it seems like. And so that was, I just, I really liked looking back on how this course has played out. If the Bible is everything that we've said it is, 
if it is the word of God, if it is authoritative, if it is inerrant, infallible, those things, then the natural outflow of that, I think, should be that we give it a lot of attention and focus, right? And that yeah. we, um, to some extent, try to get better at engaging with it. The temptation, though, and one, and I think just one of the things that we see in evangelicalism at large in America is that that the result of that can sometimes be what gets called biblicism, which is where we come to worship the Bible and not necessarily the God of the Bible or not necessarily Jesus, that the the artifact of the Bible itself kind of becomes the object of adoration or the object of devotion. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but that that seems like a fine line to me. Like for for us to spend a, a considerable amount of time and focus and effort on engaging with the scripture, we have to remember the reason why we are doing it in the first place, which was some of the point of trying to lay a strong foundation for just what the Bible is and why in the world we should give it any of our time in the first place. But we have to like stay clear on the fact that we are engaging with this so that we can know Jesus more and know God more and and be um, not just intellectually more knowledgeable, but but so that, as Scripture said, so that we can be doers of the things that we're taking in and learning. Yeah. So you know, ideally, this is transformative, but but not not primarily in an intellectual way. I think primarily in in sort of a heart and behavioral type way. Um, not not just behavior modification, but because my heart is being transformed, my life is being transformed, mm-hmm. right? So that that to me was a lot of the goal with some of those early episodes. Um, and I don't know if we've talked about this, but this, uh, you know, a lot of the content that we've covered over the course of this podcast is a class that I've taught live in the past that Taylor hasn't necessarily been a part of. And so Taylor's been, um, you know, some weeks just kind of coming in going, hey, what are we talking about today? <laughs> but, um, but it's good because I think it's been pretty accessible at the same time. Yeah. So, so um, anyway, we're not going to take, you know, 30 minutes today or even an hour today uh, to, to wrap some of this up. Um, we do want to talk about just some things maybe that you could be thinking about as you're going about the work of inductive Bible study and um, some other potential Bible study methods, I guess you could call them, that you could engage in. We really see inductive Bible study as the maybe the foundational method, I guess I would call it. Like, like I think this is the kind of work you need to be doing Whenever you're engaging with the Word of God, no matter the the format that you're, you know, or or yeah, because like we've we've pulled out some random passages along the way, and we've done the inductive process with them. But it could be, and we would certainly encourage this, that you are walking through entire books of the Bible at a time. Um, that you're doing what could be called a book study. Like I'm going to study the Gospel of John. I'm going to study 2 Corinthians, whatever. And that as you go along the way, you are applying this method um, to what you're doing. 
And there are a lot of different resources out there for doing book studies. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, it could just be you with a Bible and a notebook and deploying this inductive process. Maybe you've got a commentary there. Maybe you've got a study Bible. Um, but then there are also a number of just sort of standalone resources that are available as well. Um, yeah. Some, some very famous, like, if, you know, uh, one of the most famous book study authors of the last 20 years is Beth Moore, right? So if you've ever done a Beth Moore study, that is, in a way, a book study. Like right. She's walking you through, you know, the book of Ruth, or she's walking you through something like that. So um, there are certainly things out there that are guides for that. And if you're part of something like BSF, that is what you're doing every week, because BSF is sort of a book study-focused Bible study group. Mm-hmm. And then there's also stuff, I mean, there are apps now mm-hmm. that help with this, and apps, uh, a lot of a lot of the apps that I've seen in the past will give you um, quote-unquote Bible study, but it, it's really more like little devotionals that are more, it's maybe more personal and less, less scripture-based, scripture-focused, but there are apps like the one created uh, by Bible Project, right. stuff like that, and they're taking entire books and tracing themes and doing these methods at a really both a really granular level and then throughout entire books so you get to you zoom in and see how some of these themes play out and and then you zoom out and see how they work throughout an entire book or throughout an entire section of scripture so right right. there are some there's some great free resources out there yeah absolutely i mean the bible project is just a wealth of information not only, I mean, the Bible Project podcast in and of itself is a wealth of information. Um, and then they have a number, uh, if you're not familiar, they, the Bible Project is a nonprofit organization that primarily creates video content yeah. um, that explain not only books of the Bible, but also different um, theological concepts or doctrinal concepts or patterns we see in Scripture and um, and their podcast is also really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's true, Taylor. Uh, you know, a lot of devotional type books that are out there, and and Lord knows there are, you know, thousands of devotional books. Oh yeah, out there. A lot of that stuff tends to be more on the application side of things. A lot of devotional reading. I mean, I'm thinking of you know when I graduated high school, somebody gave me. My utmost for his for his highest, which is Oswald Chambers. It's like this classic uh, devotional book, which is written in you know sort of a dated vernacular. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to read, um, and yet for for many years it was like the standard yeah. um, of devotional literature. But a lot of that stuff is meant to be done and done with very quickly. Right, right. Like you got you got three minutes, you got five minutes. You know, you're going to read this uh, maybe first thing in the morning or right before you go to sleep at night, and it's very much focused on application most of the time, and it is devoid of the I guess the process of interpretation. Yeah, that's right. You're you're kind of putting interpretation into the hands of the devotional author, and they're not going to unpack how they've arrived at the interpretation that they've arrived at. What they're going to do is they're going to jump immediately to application. Um, and, and I don't, listen, I'm not 
um, trying to deride that at all. I, I don't know that that I would say that that's a bad thing per se. I think it's just something to be aware of if you're engaging in devotional reading. What what you're not getting to do when you're doing devotional reading is is sort of exercise your own muscle of Bible study. Yeah. Right. It's it it to some extent is being spoon fed to you, and you may have to do some digging just to make sure that the devotional author is trustworthy as as a biblical interpreter. Right? Yeah, which means doing the observation mm-hmm. and interpretation kind of on your own time. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I, I guess, is fine, but it is a little bit cart before the horse mm. to say, I'll let someone interpret this so that I can apply it to my life and then go back behind them and kind of observe and interpret it myself. Mm. It it may just be a great idea to, to go ahead and do the whole thing yourself. Right, and, and even with application, like... The Holy Spirit, I truly believe the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of biblical application in our lives. And so if we're hoping that we can expedite the process by just reading some piece of devotional literature and allow somebody else to tell me how to apply something in my life without giving space or time or consideration or meditation so that the Holy Spirit can speak to me on this issue... Um, I, you may be missing like the mm-hmm. point, or you may be missing a wealth of um, what the Lord wants to do within you and through you. Yeah. Um, by you know maybe to some extent taking a lazy approach to it. So sure. um, hopefully we've made clear that Bible study doesn't have to be this extensive, long, drawn-out thing. Um, We have spent a lot of time with some things, but primarily for the purpose of just teaching and talking about how we engage with texts. I mean, last week we took two different texts, and we spent, what, 40 minutes on each of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like if you were spending that kind of time on a passage of Scripture every single day... That, I could see that maybe as being a challenge if you've got kids or you got a job or you got you know things going on, um, but once a week doesn't seem crazy to me that right. you would take thirty minutes you know to devote yourself to just a little bit of a time of observation, interpretation, application. So um, I don't I I think it's really just one of those things. It's it's not so much I can't do it um, or I don't have space for it. It's more a question of making the space for it in your life. And uh, it could be just a question of having the want to as well. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. So once we get into this, there are obviously some other tools. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned, or I mentioned some of the apps. You mentioned that there are different, or did we talk about, I don't think we talked about the inductive Bible, right? No, we haven't, yeah. Okay, I want to hear more about that. Well, I mean, I I don't know that I know a ton about it, but um, there is an organization called Precept, and Precept is uh, basically a publishing organization that puts out Bible studies. Um, and they, I don't, I don't necessarily think they invented the inductive Bible study method, but they certainly have popularized it in America today. And um, you can go to precept.org and see a lot of the resources that they offer. And, I mean, a lot of their resources are free. Um, I think they also have, I don't think we have any here in Shreveport. I may be totally wrong about that, but I think they have local chapters as well, kind of like BSF, but local mm-hmm. chapters and groups that meet up and, and do Bible study together. Um, Precept is known for um, their marking system, um, and, and to some extent, 
this for some people is just synonymous with the inductive Bible study method, and we haven't talked about this at all in the course of this podcast, but but you can Google um, precept um, Bible marking or precept notation method or something like that, and and what they've developed basically, I, I guess they've developed it, they, they certainly talk about it a lot, is is like a whole like grid of symbols and markings. So as you do your Bible study, you make marks in your Bible on different words or phrases um, to help you uh, study those things more deeply. So when they talk about the observation process, I mean, we've talked about it at sort of a 30,000-foot level. When they talk about the observation process, they, they do want you to sort of show your proof like that you've done the work of observation by um, using colored markers, colored pencils um, to mark up your Bible as you go. Yeah, which is which is super helpful if a lot of this stuff still seems a little nebulous. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm coming to this process and I haven't done a lot of it and I'm just expected to sit down and maybe I've got an hour and a half one morning and I, I just want to start practicing this, Okay, well, I remember observation is first, and I remember there are these questions and these lenses I need to remember, but how does that play out? And then something like this notation system, I think, would make perfect sense there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's stuff like when you see the name God, you're going to draw a triangle, you know, over, over the name God. Um, when, when you, you know, see things that are repeated mm-hmm. in the text, you're going to have a special marking for that. Um, and so, yeah, what I would encourage you guys to do is, um, and, and I've, I've just done this as we're sitting here, um, precept.org, and I just mentioned that, is, is a great resource. And... Um, you can uh, just 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 poke around and and find all kinds of information on stuff like this. Um, I think I think some people do like a note card method as well um, that they have. I don't I don't know the ins and outs of all of that stuff, um, but it's certainly out there and available to you. Depending on how nerdy and you know organized you want to get with your Bible study, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, I am just not like personally, and, and some of this for you, it will be figuring out sort of what, where you fall in some of this stuff and, and what works best for you. I am not personally a big note taker, like in yeah. general, like I, I, even, even when I, you know, was in college, I just wasn't a big note taker. I found that I did much better to just sort of sit and soak up what was being said. Really? Yes. Versus, because, and, and I think there's something about whenever I start taking notes, I get, I, I, maybe because I'm a little um, OCD, I get bothered by the fact that my notes are not neat enough or are not organized correctly enough. And then, and, and then I get real focused on the notes themselves. And I'm not actually listening to the content so as to comprehend I'm listening to the content so as to get it onto my notes page. Mm-hmm. And it's all, I, I thought to some extent, I always felt like I was having to do kind of double work because it's like I'm coming out of class and I've got notes, but I, I can't really tell you anything that was said. 
And so then I'm having to go study my notes in order to really learn what was said in the class. Whereas if I could just sit and listen and sort of visualize uh, in my head what was being said, always, always came away much better. See, that's fascinating because through high school and college, I think, I don't know if I've ever owned a textbook that I haven't written in. Yeah. yeah. I'm writing everything, taking notes on everything. That's so we're kind of opposite in that way, which is why this this notation system by precept was fascinating when I heard about it because mm-hmm. it was like, well, I could have been using this. Oh, and I'm I'm totally fascinated by people who are journalers. Mm. You know, like when um, I read Eugene Peterson's biography a while back. Yeah. And Eugene Peterson, who is famous for having done the translation of scripture called the Message. Um, but he was also a seminary professor and a pastor for decades. Um, he was he was a copious journal keeper, and I mean, and he and he really kept more of like a dear diary kind of journal, right? You know, it wasn't it wasn't just um, his his Bible study notes, right? It was, the, you know, this morning here's how I'm feeling, and here's here's what I wish I'd done differently yesterday, and. Some of it, I mean, very vulnerable, very personal. But when it came time um, to for for the author of his biography to begin working on the biography, he just had this wealth of content. I mean, and had to spend, I think, a great deal of time just going through the content because there's um, dozens, if not hundreds, of journals that were kept by Eugene Peterson over the years. I'm, I love that. Like I would love to be that kind of person who could, who could go, oh, let me pull out my March, you know, yeah. journal from, you know, 1998 yeah. or something. And, but anytime I've tried to do that, I've just failed miserably. Like I've just never been able to make it a habit. It is always a slog to me. Um, and it's just one of those things I've learned that everybody's different. You're you're either somebody who journals or you're not, right? You know, and so, um, so anyway, yeah. I mean, I think there are some people who um, would definitely benefit from the notation system. You mentioned though the inductive study Bible, which yeah. is which is a a Bible that Precept puts out, and you can get this in I think a variety of translations, but pretty much all the translations they put it out in are more literal word-for-word type translations, yeah. right? So it's going to be the New American Standard Version, or it's going to be the ESV or something like that. And um, what it's going to do is it's going to give you a lot of great resources on the inductive Bible study method, just to remind you of that method. And then as you get into a certain book of the Bible, it's going to give you guidance on just things to be looking out for as you're reading through. Um, and then is going to give you um, cues on maybe certain uh, notations that you could make um, in your observation process. Um, you know, like one of the things that Precept is big on is is as, as you read like a paragraph at a time, that for each paragraph that to some extent you, or even chapter by chapter, that you, um, based on your observation, develop what you see as a key theme or key themes in a particular passage. And so it's going to give you space in there to write down those key themes. Um, so anyway, it's I, I don't own one. I've never used one. I've seen it. Um, but it might be worth checking out if it's something yeah. you want to try. And, and gosh, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff out there like that. So if you're wanting to really develop your own... Um, 
not necessarily method, but just your own rhythm of studying the Bible, um, I'd encourage you to check some of that stuff out and just see if it fits for yeah. you, you know? So we've got the inductive Bible from Precept, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we mentioned using some of the different apps, using a, a general study Bible, mm-hmm. uh, maybe being part of a larger group setting like BSF or mm-hmm. if if your church has smaller groups that do studies like that. Um, what about word studies? Mm-hmm. This is another tool that's often used. That's right. Um, and and something else for us to talk about here as well could be just some other resources that are available that we haven't mentioned yet, um, such as, I mean, we've talked about commentaries in previous episodes, but um, commentaries, Bible dictionaries, concordances. I mean, there are a lot of just sort of Bible reference tools that are out there and available. Um, word studies are um, are basically where you, I mean they are. It is what it sounds like. You, it's where you take a word that you find in a particular passage of scripture and then do a deep dive on um, that word and its language of origin and the way that it gets used in other parts of the scripture as well. So this is part of the observation. Yeah, it, yeah, it really is, and that's why I say that the the inductive method really does seem to be a foundational method. You will hear of people doing book studies and word studies and things like that, but but I think if you're going to do those things well, you have to sort of do them within the grid of you know uh, observing, interpreting, and applying. Um, so what's what's interesting with word study and word studies are a lot of fun to me, like in a nerdy way. Like I really do enjoy. I enjoy languages, even though I'm, I'm not very good at languages in terms of becoming fluent in, in other languages. But it is so fascinating to me to dig into words and um, learn more about their backstory and also learn about the ways that particularly Greek words have influenced modern English as mm-hmm. well. I mean, just this last week, we were, uh, our sermon uh, included John 3.16, For God So Loved the World, and we did just sort of a mini word study in the sermon, where we looked at the word for world in the Greek, which is cosmos, mm-hmm. and we looked at, um, you know, it, it, we even mentioned the fact that our modern word cosmetics comes from the word cosmos. So, so it's like, how does a word that we that gets interpreted as world, um, and and I think I think what we think of when we hear that is earth or earth and its inhabitants or something like that. But how does this word that gets interpreted as world also become a root word for makeup mm-hmm. in today's work? And 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 the reason for that is it's like when you do the deep dive, what you learn is that. It gets translated as world, but but there's more to it than just maybe what you and I think of when we think of world, because really what Cosmos is getting at is um, ordered creation or structured creation. Um, so like at the end of the word is it's it's K O S M O S. So the last two letters the the suffix is O S. The antithesis of Cosmos is chaos, right? Mm-hmm. So chaos being completely unordered, unstructured. Um, and so, yeah, the, the cosmos isn't just 
the earth as a planet or the universe um, or the universe and its inhabitants, it's really getting at the fact that this is ordered and structured. And so that's how it, we get to cosmetics in today's world. And I made the joke that, you know, that some of you ladies wake up in the morning and make order out of chaos with cosmetics. Did you get any feedback from that? Uh, some people felt attacked, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. However, uh, you know, that is kind of what it's driving at. Yeah. Right? That is, here. here is this product that is intended to, you know, bring order to something in a way. Um, so, so anyway, but, but all of that is stuff I learned, not because I'm fluent in Greek, but because I took 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and did a bit of a word study and, yeah. and dug into that. So that's a good example. That's a beneficial example of a word study. Mm -hmm. And that's something that folks could do with with a decent concordance, or I mean, you can Google a lot of this. You, you mentioned can. Bible Gate Gateway uh, mm -hmm. in the past couple of weeks, yeah, and that's a great site for stuff like that. Yeah, and and we've talked about the the interlinear Bible. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Um, the interlinear Bible is is a Bible where you have the English text right next to the original language, mm -hmm. and it's hyperlinked so that you can search it. And so you can just search interlinear Bible, and it'll pop up for you. On Google. talking about what maybe some of the pitfalls are yeah using absolutely word studies yeah sure i mean um what you will find often with um uh primarily the greek i'm less familiar with the hebrew but this very well may be true with hebrew as well as it, with greek you will find that a word can mean several different things and i think in, in a lot of these cases in the greek there is a clear relationship among the ways that a word can be defined or used. But sometimes in English, that doesn't, that, that, like they seem farther apart than they might be in, in the original Greek. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, to use John 3.16, we, we looked at the word perish, P-E-R-I-S-H. Um, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the word perish could also be translated as destruction. Meaning um, the Greek word that's used there could be... Yes, yes. In other places, Sorry. is used to mean destroy. Yes, the Greek word could also be used to mean destroyed. Um, or it could be used uh, to mean lose, L-O-S-E. Um, and in English, those seem like three very different things to me. Like to perish means to me to die right like if someone has perished they've simply passed away um, they haven't been destroyed like destroyed um, communicates to me like annihilation or sort of a, like um, I don't know what word I'm looking for there but just complete and total um, like 
a complete and total end. Yeah. Right. And then lose, you know, seems even less severe just than those two things. Misplaced. Like, I just didn't either. Either something is lost or um, so I didn't win. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I lost. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's like I think in the Greek, those things are probably a little bit closer together than they seem in English. The 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 challenge that biblical translators have is figuring out the vernacular of the culture and um, and translating words in a way that are going to make most sense to the modern culture, but also will still be true to the intentions of the biblical author. Um, there's a passage, and, and, and we see a lot of differences between the King James Version of the Bible, which was written in the 1600s, and a modern Bible like the ESV Bible today, like there are all kinds of differences in language between those two things. Um, and it's because culturally we speak differently today than people would have in the 1600s, right? So yeah. um, there's a lot of these and thous and that kind of stuff in the King James Version. But there are also places in the King James Version where um, if, if we read it today, we might come away with a completely incorrect understanding of what took place. Um, I, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but there is a story um, in the life of King David where he conquers a group of people um, and then basically puts them to work making bricks. He, he, he like mm. doesn't kill them all. He instead makes them laborers and sets them about the work of making bricks. Um, and in the King James Version of the Bible... It basically says something to the effect of, and David put them in the brick kilns. Yeah. Which makes it sound like David burned all of these people alive in brick sure. ovens. But in reality, what happened was very different. He put them to work making bricks. So, you know, did that make sense at the time to people? Probably so right? Because it was written in what was essentially the vernacular of the time. It doesn't make sense to us now, and if we don't do some of this work, we might come away thinking that David really was this horrific, murderous monster mm -hmm. um, who did, you know, who committed war crimes, basically. And so this is, this is just a difference in the English language. Like, yeah. This is just an That's example right. of how English has evolved. And so I guess that these are some things to keep in mind when we're doing word studies is... I can easily Google a, a verse or a word from a verse and get from the Greek everything that this word ever meant or mm -hmm. was translated as, but this may not take into account when this word meant this. It, so it, it doesn't take into account the time and the way that a word has evolved over time, and it doesn't necessarily take into account the context mm -hmm. surrounding that word, which the translators that we, of uh, you know, of whom their their work we read in these these copies of the Bible that we have, they have taken all that into account. So mm -hmm. maybe it's maybe word studies are good, and a wealth of Bible translations is also helpful because you get a lot Absolutely. of that just yeah. straight from reading. You know, the ESV, the NIV, the NASB. Mm -hmm. You can jump back and forth and see what folks have translated this word as, and if. If what you found in your word study doesn't show up, maybe that's for a reason. Yeah, like these translators, I mean, they're the real deal, right? They're like, not just uh, copy-pasting uh, into Google no, no, Translate? No, 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 no. 
Like you don't you don't become a, a Bible translator for any sort of mainstream Bible publisher if you're if you're an academic slouch. Sure. Like like these are people who are who are truly um, legit in their translating abilities. And so while there are still translation choices that have to be made along the way, it could be this or it could be this. Again, we talked about this this past Sunday with John 3.16. We're not really sure who's speaking in John 3.16, and translators have to make a choice there. Do we put a quotation mark at the beginning of John 3.16 and imply that Jesus is speaking here, or do we not put a quotation mark here and imply that John, the gospel writer, is speaking here? Mm -hmm. And different translations make different choices. And you may go, whoa, wait a second, that seems like a big deal. And, And it's not a small deal, but yet at the same time realize it doesn't change what the text means. That's right. Right? So translators are doing their best to try to ascertain what's going on from the original languages and communicate it to us. And they're not hiding any of this either, as we've said before. They're not, they're not trying to um, be veiled in any of this. Um, but they do have choices they have to make, and um, whenever there is stuff like that, you're always going to have people who disagree with the choice that was made. So that's another good point, though, on word studies. If what we're doing is finding something and then applying maybe our the translation that we found or something that we particularly like to a verse or to a passage that materially changes the way you might see a passage. It does, yeah. And kind of if that runs perpendicular to what most of our translations read in this script in this verse or this passage, just another red flag. Yeah. So to go back to John 3:16 for the 14th time, um, <laughs> that's just what I'm 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 the most fresh with because we just talked about it. But, you know, again, if if I decide that that the translation shouldn't be perish, which means die. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be die and 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 it it really should be destroyed. You will not be destroyed, but will have eternal life. Then if if I personally decide that all of these translators are wrong and that Jesus or John is not talking about death He's talking about some kind of like full total destruction. Then, then I can I could in, inadvertently create this whole other doctrinal grid that um, that would put me out off base somewhere. Yeah. Um, because pretty much everybody agrees that the the concept here is the concept of death. That those who are in Christ um, will not die but will have eternal life, mm-hmm. right? You will have life instead of death. It's not, um, it's the concept, at least in John 3, 3.16, is not you will be totally annihilated or you will have eternal life, right? Um, so, so that's just an example of a place where I could decide it, it really means this other thing, but I'm going against the the enormous wave of biblical scholarship that has come before me. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be real careful about that. Yeah. I, I found the verse I was talking about earlier in the life of David. It's 2 Samuel twelve thirty one, And David has, I believe, uh, conquered the Ammonites here. 
um, 2 Samuel 12, 31. And here's what the King James Version reads. And he brought forth the people that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of iron and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned unto Jerusalem. So yeah, that makes it sound like David sawed these people in half. He uh, cut off their heads with axes of iron, and then he burned their bodies in the brick kiln. Yeah. You know what's crazy? While you were reading that, I looked up the NASB, and yeah. they kept that language. Even in the 1995 update, mm. David set them under saws and sharp iron instruments. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that got carried forward at least in one. That's the NASB 1995. Yeah. The current NASB says he also brought out the people who were in it and put some to work uh -huh. at saws, iron picks, and iron axes, and made others serve at the brickworks. Yep. <laughs> and he did the same to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Um, and let's see, the ESV, and he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them to toil at the brick kilns. Um, and thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Yeah, that changes the way you see that verse. It really does. For sure. Yeah, and, and again, the thing is, is that it's not, it's not that the King James Version is wrong, right? It, it, it's, it's that the King James Version is in an antiquated vernacular, and it speaks in a way that we do not speak anymore. So that's why reading a version like the NASB, the NIV, the ESV, the CSB, you know, some of these more modern versions, and, and as you said earlier, reading several different translations at a time really can have an impact on, on how you see things. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, uh, word studies can be problematic. Um, and so I think the big takeaway there is um, for you to um, not lean on your own understanding, <laughs> right? To, to be willing to, to consider the fact that you are not necessarily, and I, nor am I, smarter than the hordes of PhD Bible translators that are, you know, have been doing this work for decades. Um, and, and yet, there are some places where, when you really dig in and study, you can find maybe we're not entirely sure. It could be this, or it could be this. Mm -hmm. And we're having to make some kind of a choice. But what I find is that nine times out of ten, those choices do not really change or alter the meaning of a passage of Scripture um, or any sort of relevant doctrine. Yeah. So, um, And let's not do this in a vacuum. Yeah, right. Man. Let's not do this by yeah, ourselves. We're meant to do this in community. Yeah. So um, just to kind of wrap up today, because we said we weren't going to take 30 minutes, and I'm seeing that we're 42 minutes into this. I love it. Beautiful. Um, yeah, we just mentioned some other tools that are out there and available to you. Um, commentaries. Um, th there are online commentaries, certainly. Um, there are things, uh, you know, there are things that are like public domain commentaries, like the Matthew Henry commentary. That's not necessarily, I mean, you may have seen that at the bookstore, you've run across it online. It's not the best commentary in the world, certainly. Um, if you are a uh, master's level theology student and you use a Matthew Henry commentary on a research paper, paper you will be laughed out of the school. Yeah. Um, 
And so there are other things that are out there. Um, you know, I've, I've historically been a fan of the MacArthur commentary series that's out there. Um, um, it's not bad. Um, I'm, I'm looking here at my shelf just to see some other things that I use occasionally. I'm not a huge commentary user most of the time. It really depends on what we're looking at. Um, I've got a set of Calvin's commentaries that I'll hit every now and then. I've been using one uh, just called the New Bible Commentary, mm -hmm. and it is by um, a few guys, but namely J.A. Motier and D.A. Carson mm -hmm. yeah. and R.T. France. So that's been, I've found that very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff out there. Um, one that I've been using most recently as we've been studying through the Gospel of John is the Pillar Commentary Series, um, which you, you mentioned D.A. Carson. He, he wrote the Pillar Commentary on the Gospel of John, um, and it's fantastic. Um, so there's a number of, of really good things out there. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, just depending on what you're studying, you can do some research and find things that are out there and available. And um, again, do it in community with other people, do it in community with your church leaders, and um, and I think you'll find some good stuff. There's also just other reference books that are out there. There's, you know, uh, Bible dictionaries that'll give you definitions for terms you find in Scripture, you know, so if you're reading the Parable of the Talents and you're like, what's a talent? You know, what, any of that kind of stuff you'll find in a Bible dictionary. Um, we've mentioned concordances. Concordances can be really helpful if you're doing a word study, because concordances are essentially a guide to where words are in the Bible. So you can find, you know, if you want to look up every time the word hope is used in the New Testament, you can do that. Mm -hmm. and, and then you can go through each one of those texts and examine that. And um, so that's something that um, you can buy as a standalone book, reference book. It's also something that a lot of Bibles have in the back. You can flip to the back and find the concordance. So um, anything else you want to mention, Taylor? Uh, no, not that I can think of. Yeah. Okay. Or else we'll drag this out to another hour and a half. Yeah, we could try. No, let's We could go it. for it. <laughs> Well, I've really enjoyed uh, getting into all of this with you guys. I hope, I really do hope it's been helpful to you. Um, I know some of these episodes maybe have been a little long. That's something we can try to work on in the future. Um, but yeah, I hope that this has been a blessing to you and has um, spurred you to get into uh, God's Word on a more regular basis. And maybe you feel like you have a few more tools in your tool belt than you had before. So thank you for listening uh, to all of this. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with another course to offer to you guys. And uh, we look forward to joining you then. See ya.